stepped up and been the father that they, he needs to be. And this puts him in a hard position as a father, a very tough position, where his son, one son kills another son, And now, as we read in this passage, Absalom, who killed his son, is not brought to justice for doing that. He's become a wayward child. He's a child who's actively trying to overthrow his father as king. Absalom and this passage begins undermining, that's what all that, that talk was. He was undermining his father's authority, going out and saying, hey, you know, David's not here to listen to you, but I am. I'm here, I'll listen to you. And if I was king, well, then all of you would be heard. And don't bow down to me, I'm your friend. He's a politician. You know, they make all these lofty promises until they get there. And we're all saying, this one's different until they get there. And he's, he's, he's up in there and he's this wayward child. He's, he's trying to be bigger than his dad. His bitterness for his brother and over the rape of Tamar was not satiated when he killed his brother. Remember, this was his obsession. Now he's just mad at his father, the only one left. And so he's bitter, he's anger, it's obsession. And he's sitting there and he says, I'm gonna take them out. I know... Some of you in this room have children that have gone away from you. Have gone away. You know, when we're, when the child is young, the primary thing we teach them is obedience, right? Obedience to ourselves and obedience to God, right? But as they grow, there's this idea of teaching them less about obedience and more about responsibility and honor. Um, you know, that term, responsibility, you know, actually, if you go into the Bible and you go start, I'm going to look up responsibility. It's not in the Bible. The term responsibility is not in there. But the idea of responsibility is throughout the Bible. If you look at Webster's Dictionary, it says responsibility is, is moral, legal, or mental accountability, reliable, trustworthy, sometimes a burden. That's what it says. And we think, well, what is responsibility? Well, trustworthy. The Bible has quite a bit about being trustworthy and reliable and accountable. I mean, when it says things like in Genesis, he says, am I my brother's keeper? He's saying, am I responsible for my brother? And God's answer is a rhetorical, it was a rhetorical question. The answer is yes, yes, you are. 
responsibility. When they say, the Bible says, let, let your yes be yes and your no be no. In James chapter uh, 5 verse 12. It says, above all my brothers and sisters, do not swear by heavens or above or by anything else. All you need is simply say yes or no, otherwise you will be condemned. That's well taking responsibility in your words, isn't it? Saying I'm responsible. I, I'm trustworthy. It's a, if I say yes, then it's a yes. If it's a no, then it's a no. I'm not lying. I'm not cheating. I'm not lying to the courts. It's just I don't need to swear by the Bible or place my hand on a stack of Bibles this big and raise my right hand and do a jig, cross my fingers. And yes is yes. No is no because I'm responsible. And sometimes that's a burden we must take. Things like taking responsibility for your sins and uh, taking responsibility for our actions. Saying, you know what? I've messed up. I've done wrong. And David never goes there. He never says, you know what? I should have handled this. Absalom, I never, I should have handled this situation differently. I never, he just kind of ignores it all. He doesn't take responsibility. He doesn't take responsibility. And so it leaves a power gap that, that Absalom says, well, I'm going to take responsibility for these people. I'm a better king than you are. And in doing so, he, he brings dishonor on his name because why? David is God's anointed king. Remember, David refused, David refused to take Saul's life, even though he was out to kill him. Why? Because he was God's anointed king. And here Absalom, not acting with that kind of, that kind of responsibility, that kind of respect, he's bringing dishonor on the name. Says, I'm going to, because honor um, in the Webster's Day, we, we, we can rephrase it as, as a good name or reputation. Um, honor is one of those words that we often associate with things like, you know, the country we're honoring our, and obedience. But when we say things like honor your mother and father, right? A lot of times that in our minds that means like we can replace obedience and honor as the same word. Like obey. If you're honoring me, you're going to obey me. But that's not at all what it means. To honor means to bring weight to. You got to go back in time to a time period where, 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 where you had scales. When you wanted to buy something, you had scales. And you would weigh out your money. Weigh out the items you were. And so you would trade equal amounts. And things like coins, one of the reasons they, like, they had terrible coins like coin shavings. They would shave off part of the coin to make it worth less because it didn't have as much weight to it. Honor is to make something valuable. It's to make something weigh a lot. And so when we're talking about honor, we're talking about make the name of your parents mean a lot. Make your parents' name 
mean a lot. Not obedience, though it can mean obedience, depending on your age. But it means make the bring up. And sometimes we have dishonorable parents. Some of you guys are in that boat. And you're still called to bring honor by doing what? Honorable things. To bring honor to them. To bring weight. So responsibility and honor are two things that we should all know. And it's different for every generation. Your parents first you. Think about what brought honor and how responsibility looked first your parents versus you guys. You say, well, the millennials and, the, and then the Gen Z and the, you know, yeah, go back to you and you were the young ones. And they were saying, well, you rebel kids, you know. It's always changing. But being a parent is part of that is teaching these two words, honor and responsibility. And we do this by acting as adults and by allowing our children to make those choices and live with the consequences of those decisions. David fails in all of these. David fails. He fails to take responsibility for his own actions and turns to murder to cover it up. And then he fails to take responsibility for that. And God ended up having to pull someone aside and say, hey, you done done wrong, right? Remember that passage? You done 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 wrong? David fails to take responsibility for the family with the rape of his daughter. David fails to stand up when his son is led in rebellion around him. David fails in letting Absalom take responsibility for the monarch, which leads to a direct revolt. David fails to make Absalom, uh, Amnon responsible for his action, letting him get away with it. He fails to make Absalom responsibility for killing his brother. And like the prodigal son, which you can read about later on in the Bible, Absalom tells his father in this passage, essentially, I wish you were dead. I'm going to take your place. That's what he's doing. And it goes even further than that. As we read it, I'm going to read a little further. 2 Samuel 16, 15 through 22. So if you're still there, I know, open your Bibles back up. If you lost your spot. Uh, 2 Samuel 15, 22. Meanwhile, Absalom and all the men of Israel came to Jerusalem and we had an argument as to how to pronounce this. It's ach. I'm going to use that ach sound. Ach, Titopel. <laughs> With him, and when the uh, Hushai and the Archite and David's confidant was went to Absalom, said, long live the king, long live the king to Absalom. He's saying, his servants are saying, David might as well be dead. Long live you. Absalom said to Hushai, so this is the love you show to your friend. If he is your friend, why do you go with him? And Hushai said to Absalom, no one is chosen by the Lord, no one chosen by the Lord, but by the people. No one chosen by the Lord, but by these people. Oh, he's denying that God 
Anointing King David matters. It's by the people that matters. And by all the men of Israel. And I, and I will, his will, his I will be, and I will remain with him. Furthermore, whom I, shall I serve? Shall I not serve the son just as I serve the father? So I will serve you. Absalom and Ahithophel gave us his advice. What should we do? And Ahithophel answered, sleep with your father's concubines whom he left take care of in the palace when all of Israel hear that you have made yourself obnoxious to your father the hands of everyone will be with you more absolute. So they pitched a tent for Absalom on the roof and he slept with his father concubines in sight of all of Israel. Wow, that's, that's pretty bold. This kind of sounds kind of sick to us in our society. But what he's doing in this society is, see, Absalom has moved in and David left without a fight. I don't want to fight my son. I'm going to leave. And Absalom says, you know what? You're dead to me. And I have all your power and all your authority. And I even control your, I control your wealth and your harem. And harem is... is, is your wealth, money, power, and women. There were women in the society where a society was a symbol of power. Don't get mad at me because society back then was like that. And so what he did in this concubine situation was he puts the tent so that everyone knows that he's having sex with his father's concubines right there on the roof so everyone can see it, saying, I have control of my father's complete power. My father might as well be dead. I'm the one in control. And some of you think you have issues with your kids. This... You know, David failed as a, as a parent. And, but even good, great parents sometimes have kids that go astray. Now let's talk about what it means to go astray. If they're not talking to you, that's not what I'm talking about here. Oh, they don't talk to me. They're mean to me. They don't respect me. They don't listen to me. They're not a, that's not what I'm talking about here. Let me tell you why I'm not talking about that. Because sometimes... As an adult, kids feel they need to separate themselves from their parents in order to grow up, in order to maybe heal, because some, let's face it, some parents are not so good. Sometimes we mess up. <laughs> let's face it, we're all going to mess up at some point, right? It doesn't mess them in the word. Why? Because it's not about you. And that's hard for some of us, Right? As parents, it's hard for us to think, well, it's not about me. They're my kids. Why isn't it about me? But if you want to know if a child is wayward, don't look at how they communicate with you. Look how they communicate with the Father. If they're holding true to the faith, then that communication with you can be worked out. If they're not holding true to the faith, then there's automatically this divide that's going to stay between you. 
And that's really where we need to look at it because we know he's the one that matters. He's the one that matters in their life. And when they're young, you can make them do things, right? We, some of you are really good at that, right? Some of you not so much. You know, go brush your teeth. And of course you're going to make them brush their teeth because it's good for them, right? No, you cannot have ice cream for breakfast. Okay, maybe this once. <laughs> we can make them do things. I mean, Galatians 4.1 says, um, what I'm saying, that as long as an heir, child, is underage, he is no different from a slave. Once again, don't get mad at me because the Bible says words like slave. Slavery was a very real thing back then. And Paul, even though I think he would have been very much against slavery, today's world, he could not imagine a world where slavery did not exist. And I think sometimes we forget that slavery still exists. It's very much a real thing. And in fact, there are more people in slavery today than there was during that transatlantic slave period that we all whine about. I'm sorry. So, although he owns the whole estate, so you know, there might as well be, but when it becomes older, we try to grow them. That's our goal, right? Grow them so they're responsible and bring honor. When there's children, when they're, 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 they're little, we, there's lots of things we can do, right? You're going to do this. You're going to come here. You're going to go to church with me. You're going to go to VBS. You're going to, because we can make them do things. If you don't want them to eat a popsicle, you don't have to give them the popsicle. You just say no. But when they're no longer children, what can you do? And some of you are still thinking your children are, your, are, are children. You've forgotten that they grow up. And you're like, you will do what I have to say. And they're like, no, I'm not talking to you anymore. And they're, no. Because I don't have to do what you have to say. I'm a grown person. And the Bible tells us that once they become a child, they're not. And like, there's no magical answers. I really do wish there were these ABCs, one, two, threes in the Bibles, right? There's no magical answers. But what we can see from David's life is we need to do the opposite of what he does. One, we have to stand up for what's right. We can't just ignore and say, you know what? We have to stand up for right. And we have to model it in our own lives. Why should they pray if you're not praying? Why should they read the scriptures if you're not reading the scriptures? Why should they do what's right if you're not doing what's right? Why should they do anything other than watch TV if all you're doing is watching TV? Yes, even now, as many of you, your children are long past, they still look to your behavior. How do they make that next transition in life? Some of you are at the point where you're at the, you've made it past the nest stage where you have children, and they're looking, how do I make that transition? Their kids are going home. They need to know how to make that transition. Some of you handled that transition wonderfully. 
And some of you handled that transition horribly. They're always looking for you. How do I make that next transition in my life? Because you've gone before them. And so we have to model it. And we can't, it's not about beating them over the head with the Bible. I hate it when I see parents just, well, the Bible says, thou shall not. (laughs) No. We model the Bible by what? Doing. It's how we live our own life. That's how they, the Bible they need to read. Because that's the Bible they're going to read. They may sit down and read Bible with me on Sunday mornings. Maybe, maybe not, right? Go to children's church. Or maybe they went to the VBS that one time. And then you learn John 3.16. But they're going to read you every single day. Even if they've gone forward. Even if you're, they're, they're, they're full-grown adults, they're still reading you. And so one of the things we can do as we, we, we talk about we are, 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 how do we handle wayward children? Not just children that aren't talking to us, but wayward children. The first thing we have to do is pray for them, right? We pray for them. Intercessory prayer is very important. Too often, we pray about just us, you know. God, I'm feeling hurt because my kids, you know, doing these things, and I'm doing, I'm, and, and Lord, I need you to send a way for I to talk to them, and, and I need I to, that's not about them at all. That's a prayer about us. Intercessory prayer is God send someone in their life. If it be me, let it be me. If it be someone else, let it be someone else to bring them closer to you. They're struggling with this. I need you to help them with this. Lord, if it be me, let it be me. If it be someone else, let it be. We can't be afraid to step aside. Let God work. God loves to hear parents' prayers. (laughs) Maybe especially in the midnight hour. when things are their darkest. But we, we encourage them in the faith. Love them. Remind them of God's love. Encourage them. Don't nag them. Mm, Some you need a reminding. Encourage them. Brings life. Nagging brings death. Some of you need to go and do some research. Am I encouraging or nagging? Because it's hard sometimes. We, we, we think we're being encouraging, but really we're just nagging at them. Encourage them. If need help, help them. Keep them alive. Sometimes encouragement is just about bringing life into your children. Encourage them. Keep them alive so someday they may be like the particle son and return. Don't burn bridges. As we encourage them, if we start nagging them, they're going to burn those bridges and 
We encourage them. We'll be a source of hope that they want to be in your life. They want to hear from you. For example, if your child is on drugs, do not just throw them out. And, and, and those, you may have to set up those boundaries and say, you know what, if you're going to behave this way, you cannot live in my house. But I'm not going to just burn the bridge and say, I'll never see you again. Get out. Because then there's no way to redemption. There's no way to bring back the, fa- the relationship. There's no, it's just, it's all is done. But probably the most important thing we can do is we can live our life according to Christ. Even if we have failed in the past. And some of us, one of the first things we have to do is admit that we have failed. The reason, I think it's hard for us as parents to realize that sometimes the reason kids do the things they do is because we have led them there. Oh no, I was always at church. Absolutely. But did the rest of your life reflect Christ? Or are you beating them up with the church? We have to admit our failures. And we have to live according to the teachings that bring life. Sin has its consequences, and, but we must be transformed by the renewing of our, what's the word the Bible say? Mind. That one day they may see the transformation, that they may know that it was Christ that has changed me. Let me tell you a story from my own life. My dad growing up, We got in some fist fights. We got in some arguments. I, he was verbally abusive to my mother. Hated the man. Went to college bitter and anger. He was here last Sunday because I have a good relationship with him now because Christ has changed him from the person that he was to a person that I can have a relationship with. And he's admitted that he was not the best father at times. And he admitted that he has not shown me how to be sometimes because he has changed. And now I can have a great relationship with him. And I look forward to him coming down and spending time with him because he has transformed his mind. Because he admitted he was wrong. And became better. And he modeled repentance. And it wasn't something that happened overnight. It happened over time. And that led us down a path that I can see Christ in him. And I can look to him. And so even if you have messed up in your life, There's still hope. But what it comes down to is we have to model Christ. And do that, you first have to admit that you are a sinner. Take responsibility for your sins. And admit you have fallen. And sometimes it means telling your kids, I'm sorry. But not just saying I'm sorry, but changing the behavior that led there in the first place. For example, if you were a workaholic... 
you can't stay a workaholic and expect things to always be better. Because the same behavior that led them to resent you because you're always at work is going to continue as long as you're always at work. And you may not, oh, I'm retired now. When you're a workaholic, and some, I know some of you are workaholics, you're still working even though you're retired. Yeah, I see some pointing fingers going on. Our next steps. Some, some of you have children you are worried about. They're wayward children. They have left Christ. They have not gone the way of Christ. You're worried about them, and rightfully so. Some of you are raising children. Some of you need support of those, need to support those who are. Let me tell you the worst thing you can do who is someone who's raising child is saying, oh, you know, when my kid was this, I did, unless they ask, they don't want to know because things are different from they are. But you can be there beside them and walk with them and support them. Some of you need to help bring the way we're children right into God. Don't do it alone. Don't make the same mistakes David did. He tried to ignore and let kids do whatever they wanted to. It doesn't work. We have to be active, saying this is what right is. We have to be apologetic when we make mistakes. We have to stand up and say, I know who God is. You know, for the first time, Gen Z. See, millennials, Gen X went away from the church marcher because boomers were living one way and leaving Gen X to be by themselves. I mean, come on, you had to have a commercial say, do you know where your kids are at? The millennials turned their way from because they were hurt by the church, all them millennials. But for the first time, Gen Z is curious about the church and would come if they felt welcome, accepted, and acknowledged. Because they know there's something out there. They know there's something missing. We need to be the one to bring them in. We need to bring in more than just the kids. It's the, the, the parents who have been hurt and say, you know what? There are times we were wrong. You know, the number one reason people stopped going to church was what, hypocrisy? We've got to say, you know what? I apologize for my hypocrisy. I'm not talking about times when they just got mad because you did what was right and they said, oh, I want to do whatever I want. I'm talking about actual hypocrisy. There's always going to be that person who leaves the church because you won't let them do whatever they want. That's not what we're talking about. But we have to pray. We have to encourage. We have to live. That's what life is about, right? 
David failed in all these areas. His son's going to die. After a civil war breaks out in the kingdom. And that's the direction many of us are heading with our kids. Every time you get together, you have a civil war. Father God, right now, I pray for those parents who are hurting because their children have left them. Lord, I pray for those children who have left them. Lord, I pray for the children who are hurting. Lord, I pray that, Lord, that we don't make it about us, but about you. Lord, that we want to turn our life towards you. And we want our children to turn towards you. And we want our loved ones to turn towards you. So, Lord, I pray that if we can bring, be the, the light, then let us be the light. But if they need to bring someone else in light, into their life, bring someone else into their life. Because it's not about us. Lord, help us to be people that are changing and become better than who we were. Lord, help us to be people that, that love you more than anything else. And Lord, so we set up healthy boundaries. but we also encourage one another. We support one another. We love one another. Lord, I pray that you, you gain healing on our families. Help make us be the people you want us to be, that we can help raise a generation that would be better than we are. Lead us not into civil war and disunity, but into truth and unity. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're going to go to a time of invitation, which is a time we invite you. Thank you, Pastor Gene. All right. Welcome back to the life of David. Yeah, it sounds like he's having a good time, doesn't it? I mean, David... He's um, become a great king. He's got all this land and power. And, but he's not a perfect king. No, not a perfect father either. He sinned, committed adultery, murdered. Didn't take justice for his daughter. Didn't bring honor on his family. Not stepped up and done what was needed to be done. This all has left him in a hard position for his fa- for, as a father to be in. He's, his daughter was written by his son and his other son killed his brother. And so you got family and war within itself and he... He doesn't know how to behave. What should I do about my child and my children? And how do I? And he just steps back and says, "You know, I, I can't do this." That's a wayward kid, don't you think? Absalom here in this passage, Absalom begins undermining his father's position. 
starts getting ready to take his father's place. He says, you know what? You might as well be dead to me. Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go and I'm going to set myself up to be the head of all things. I'm going to be your, the king. I'm going to be the king. So I'm going to go and I'm going to go and, and tell people, you know what? David's not here, but listen, look at me. I'm, I'm listening to your problems. He's out there shaking babies and kissing hands. And, um, he's a politician. He's doing what politicians do. He's going out there making promises. You know he don't plan on keeping none of these. But he's being a politician. He's going to be what a politician does. He's trying to get power and authority for himself. He says, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to tell people how great I am. You don't have to bow down to me. Get up. We, we're friends. You know, you just need to support me. As I try to get overthrow my dad take over this place as I think about this I think about David and uh, you know his, his, he's in a, a tough place for his child I mean when, he, when children are young our primary way we, we teach them is obedience right we say, you obey what I tell you to do because I, I know better I'm you know, yes, you have to brush your teeth. Yes, you have to take a bath. No, you cannot have ice cream for breakfast. Unless, you know, except for that one time. Uh, you know, because I know better, you know. Yes, you have to buckle up your seatbelt. Yet, you do it because I told you to. Because I know better. I've been there. I'm, I know what's best for you. We teach them obedience. We teach them obedience to us. We teach them obedience to God. God says this, this is why you do it. This is what's going on. But as they grow, obedience doesn't work so well. We have to teach them less about obeying and more about responsibility and honor. And that's something that some of us are trying really hard to do and some of you did really well and some of you not so well. Some of you still want that obedience issue. That's, that's you, no matter how old they are, you are 45, you are still need to be under my thumb. No. <laughs> that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that we're supposed to be teaching about, well, one, responsibility. But you know, if you go in the Bible and the word responsibility is not in there at all. You go look it up. You can say, well, I'm going to look up responsibility. It's not in there. Now, the Webster's Dictionary, let's go to Webster's because, you know, we're going to define a word. It says responsibility means to be morally legal, moral, legal, mentally capital, reliable, trustworthy, and it's sometimes a burden. That's what it says. Now, the Bible may not have the word responsible in it but it has a sure a lot to say about being responsible. It says things like in Genesis chapter one, where, um, Genesis chapter four, where uh, the Lord says to, uh, to Cain, where's your brother? And he says, am I brother, my brother's keeper? And the answer that we're supposed to get out of that, some of you are like, I'm not sure. The response you're supposed to get out of that is, yes, you are. You're supposed to be responsible for one another. 
You're supposed to, when it says in James chapter 5, verse 12, I'll read it to you. Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, not on heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need is to simply say yes or no, otherwise you'll be condemned. It's about taking responsibility for your speech. Let your yes be yes. If you mean yes, say yes. If you say mean no, say no. You don't need to place your hand on a stack of Bibles and raise your hand to God and swear upon the stars. And You don't need any of that because you're supposed to be responsible for the way you speak. Yes, no. That means be truthful in court and out of court. And it's sometimes a burden. We, we must carry responsibility. Like in the Bible when it says we must be, take responsibility for our sins. Take responsibility for our actions. Oh, we can't carry the responsibility. We cannot take away the punishment of our sins. Jesus did that. But we still have to face the consequences of those actions. God never says, you know what? You come to me and I'm going to accept. And then all those consequences just disappear. Now, look at David. Was he responsible? Not in this case. We see early on in his career a very responsible man. He became the anointing of God, and he said, I'm going I'm to take responsibility for everything I do. And then he started passing the buck. Well, you know, she is my servant. I can have sex with her. Eh, he's just in the way. Let's kill him. Oh, my kid? Well, he raped his, other, his daughter. Am I going to take responsibility for that and see to this? As the, no, I'm just going to ignore it. We have to take responsibility for our actions. And responsibility, so we need to teach our kids to be responsible in all stages of life. I know some of you are like, well, I don't have kids no more. If you have children, they are still looking to you and how to behave for that next stage in life. Some of you have handled that next stage really well. Some of you not so well. They're still looking to you. How do I handle that next stage in life? So we teach them responsibility, but we also teach them honor. Now, honor is one of those words we don't use a lot anymore. We don't have an honor-shame society. But honor, now when many of you first start teaching, we say things like honor your mother and father. And the way you were taught or the way you taught it, it might as well be you could just replace obedient, obey your mother and father. And just, you can honor, it meant obey, obey me. And when they were young, maybe so. But when they were older, honor your parents had very little to do with obedience. Honor even if you look it up in the Webster's Dictionary, it means a good name to treat with respect. Honor your mother and father has more to do with making the name 
have weight. Making something have weight. See, we got to go back in time, which is hard for a lot of us to do, right? Before they had credit cards, and just swipe it. Way before you had dollar bills, you had scales that you'd put out there. And you would weigh things. And you might even have something that represented something, like, you know, if you're, a dove was worth two of these. And then you would have money, and you would spit it on the scale, and it would even out. And then you knew you had enough. You brought enough weight to it. And the original inflation was they would actually shave the coins, physically shave the coins to make them worth less. That was the original inflation before we had zeros and ones controlling all our money. And so they would, they would weigh it and they say, do, so to bring honor would mean to make it weigh more. Make it worth more. So when you honor your mother and father, you're saying, because of my actions, not even obedience, because of my action, you can be a disobedient, because some parents are lousy parents. Maybe some of you are lousy parents, I don't know. But some parents are lousy parents, and they want you to do things that aren't according to Christ. But bring weight to it means I'm going to do good no matter what. I'm going to do what is right. I'm going to do what is lifting up. And so taking weight. So we need to teach our children to have honor, to bring weight to something. And how they bring weight to it, they can, they, they learn to do what is holy. Now, David, he fails in both of these, right? He fails to take responsibility for his own choices. He fails to take responsibility for his family. He fails to take responsibility for his justice, that his, the kingdom. He fails to take responsibility for Absalom's murder. He fails uh, to... Um, to deal with Absalom killing his brother. He fails to, he knows, uh, David has people telling him, your son is out here rising up against you. And you know what he chooses to do? He leaves town. He doesn't stand up at all. He brings shame upon it. Now Absalom is bringing shame upon, he doesn't, he doesn't he's not been taught to bring honor. See, remember, in the Bible, where David refuses to kill Saul. Why? Because he's the anointed king. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We're going to remember that. Absalom says that doesn't matter. David, you're the anointed king. That doesn't matter. I'm the people's choice. And like the prodigal child, that other passage in the scripture... Absalom is telling, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance now. Which he views his inheritance is the kingship. And so he goes and takes it. 
And we're going to skip a small passage here. But he, he goes and he goes into the city. And he leads. And David just steps back and says, he runs away. I ain't going to go there. And so then in, 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 in 2 Samuel 16, verse 15. I know some of you guys got your Bible out still. You can pull that open. It says, meanwhile, Absalom and all the men of Israel came to Jerusalem with Ahithophel. With, uh, was with, yeah, you got, ah. the Hebrew has a, ah. we don't have that in English. Um, then Hushai, the archetype, and, and David's confidant went with Absalom and said to him, long live the king, long live the king. They're saying this to Absalom. Long live the king. David, the anointed one, you don't matter. Long live the king. Absalom said to the Hushite, so this is the love you show to your friend. If he is your friend, why did you go with him? And Hushite said to Absalom, no one, no, the one chosen by the Lord, by these people and all the men. He's saying, oh, I don't believe David's been called by the Lord anymore. It's you, Absalom. Absalom is claiming the anointing of the Lord. He's never been anointed. There's never been a priest that go over them and anoint him. We've never been told that in the scriptures. He's claiming it though. Said, uh, because the people have chosen me, because I've made such friends, because I've been able to go in with my armies, I've been able to claim this anointing. And so Absalom said to Ahithophel, give me your advice, what would you do? And Ahithophel answered, sleep with your father's concubine whom he left in your care of the palace, then all of Israel will hear that you have made yourself obnoxious to your father and the hands of everyone with you will be more resolute. So they pinched a tent for Absalom on the roof and he slept with his father's concubines and in the sight of all of Israel. Wow, talk about wayward children. I mean, I'm, yes, in this society, we've got to go back in time. This is not America in the 21st century. A king's power rests in his wealth, his political ties, how much land he had, his wealth, and how many women he had in his court. Don't get mad at me because that's the way society was back then. That ain't my fault. But that's how it worked. And so what he does is he claims the land his father had and his father protected him. He claims where all the treasury, where his father was keeping his money. And he says, you know what? I'm going to even claim the women my father had, the concubines. And how do you claim these women? In that society, it was through sex. And they couldn't say no. And so, he has his concubines, they set up a tent so that everyone would know that he's taking his father's concubines into the tent, right where everyone could see it, and having sex with them right there. Claiming, you, your father, my father is impotent, weak old man that can't keep his, can't keep anything, has no power. That's what he's saying. In a society as it was, being impotent was seen as you might as well be dead. And he's, and so he's saying this is, and that's what he's claiming. And Thelma, you think you have problems with your kids. 
And so he comes in. And he becomes what we're calling a wayward child who moves as far away from his father as possible. Now, as I say, some of you guys think, well, I have a wayward child. Let's, let's reframe that real quick before we move any further. Your child, your adult child, let me rephrase that, your adult child not talking to you on the phone does not count as a wayward child. It can, but that's not what this is about. Why? Because it's not about you, which is hard for some of us. As parents, we're like, my kids, my child, it's about me. And some of you guys are really good about being selfish like that. Yes, selfish is the word. But it's not about you. If you want to see if your child is wayward, don't look at how much they're communicating with you. Look how they're communicating with the Father. Look how they're communicating with God. If they're communicating with God, there's still hope for maybe you guys can work things out. But if, there's, if they're not communicating with God, then there's automatically this gap between you. And when they're young, you can make them do things. When they're older, it becomes more and more out of your hands. And so we have to teach them in controlled freedom. Galatians 4, 1 says, What I'm saying, as long as an heir is underage... They're no different from a slave. You can make them do what you want them to do. That's the easy part for some of you. The harder part is once they grow up and they're no longer, see it says when they're under age, once they become of age, things change. Well, yeah, when they're, they're little, you can make them do all kinds of things. Eat those peas. Why? Because you need more protein. Eat that broccoli. You got to have that iron in your system. You could make them. But then they become no longer child. And some of you are still in the age where you still got children at home. You can make them do things that are good for their, you know. And some of you have a place where you don't have children at home anymore, but you still have children. They don't stop being your children just because they're adults. But they do become more than just obedience. We have to be. And so what do we do? And I wish there were some magical answers, right? I've, I've said this multiple times. I love it if the Bible had like magic answers. Follow this ritual and everything will be okay. That's why I think magic is so popular. We're talking about Halloween, right? Magic is a popular point of view because it's something we can do with a ritual to try to influence other things that are outside of our control. The Bible doesn't have those. What it has is wisdom for us to follow and a life to live and a path that leads to life. And so, what can we do 
If not, pray for them. The first thing we can do is pray for them. I know somebody said, well, that doesn't, yes, it does. It works. Prayer works. Intercessory prayer is very important. Too often we pray just about us. And let me, let me give you an example of a wayward child prayer. God, my child is not talking to me. Bring them back where they can talk to me. What is that about? That's not about them. That's about you. Intercessory prayer is about them and God. God, they've gone away from you. If I can't reach them, please send someone in their life to reach them. God, they've shut me out of my life because I've done stupid things in my past. So Lord, help them to forgive me, but bring someone in their life to lead them more importantly than forgiving me to you, to a place of healing. And if they never forgive me, help me to have the peace. But bring them to a place of healing. Make it about them. Intercessory prayer is about them. And God loves to hear the prayer of the parent. God loves to hear the prayer of the parent, especially in the midnight hour. And so you say, I don't get up at midnight. That's not what I'm talking about. Midnight hours when things are at their darkest when things are at their worst. But not only do we pray for them, we encourage them in the faith. Encouragement brings life. Nagging brings death. There's a difference. Some of you are great at thinking you're encouraging, but you're really nagging. You know, like nagging is that reminding me that I haven't done my chores in the last three weeks. You know, nagging. Not, uh, what was that meme I saw the other day? If a man says he'll get it done, it's okay. You don't need to remind him every six months. Um, <laughs> encouragement brings life. Encouragement brings life. It's about Lifting up, you're awesome. Nagging is about what you're not doing. You're not going to church. Why aren't you not going to church? Why aren't you, have a, why aren't you dating this person? Why aren't you, how's that situation going? Why aren't you, how's your dating situation going? You, nagging brings down. Encouragement brings life. So we need to encourage Encourage bringing life so that they may return. And as we encourage, that also means we're not going to burn bridges, but we are going to set boundaries for ourselves. For example, if your child, if an adult child, is on drugs or alcohol and, and behaving badly, say, you know what, my boundary is you cannot, if you're going to behave like that, that's bad for me, bad for everyone around me, you can't come in. But I'm here for you when you decide you want to clean up. 
Because you can't force them to. You're not, they're not little anymore. You have to give them that option. Wait till they're ready. And so you're going to set those boundaries. And children learn to set boundaries. You say, my child has no boundaries. It's because they saw you have no boundaries. Children learn from us. So a lot of times we talk about how bad our children are, that next generation. You know why the generation, you don't like the generation? It's because you let them there. It's hard for us to hear, isn't it? Say, oh, those millennials or those Gen X. You know, Gen X is a funny, uh, funny um, and, and sad situation. I hear it all the time on Instagram. Uh, Gen X was forgotten. And they say, how forgotten were we? Well, we had to have a, our parents had to have a, a commercial out there asking, did they know where our, parent, our children were? And they complained about why they behave like they do. I'm not saying every boomer is bad. I'm saying that's the way society went because we led them there. If we want our children to behave better, we have to lead them to better. We have to be the one. That means we have to, not only do we have to encourage them in ourselves, we have to live the life according to Christ ourselves. And part of that is saying, you know, why should they pray if we're not praying? Why should they read the scriptures if we're not reading the scriptures? Why should we be going to, why should they go to church if we're not going to church? Why, why should they set boundaries if they don't have boundaries? Why should they respect if you don't respect? We have to show them even in, as your kids become adults, they still look to you how to live life a godly manner in that next stage. And then you lose your parents and you become the one that has to lead it. Say, how do I do this? And you have to be the one that leads the other generations. And some of that is we have to admit our failures and which could be the hardest thing David, he admits it after God brings someone in to point it out to him and say, hey, and then he never does anything about his kids. No one ever, he never admits that he's wrong there. We have to admit our failures. Part of living a life that is of God is saying, you know what, I'm not perfect. You know what, you think, well, my kids think I am. No, they don't. They're fully aware. Once they get to a certain age, and it's a little different for every child, but it's somewhere between 7 and 12, depending on the child, they figure out that you're not perfect. And we have to admit. And part of that is we have to, when we mess up, we have to apologize. That's hard on a lot of our, our, our self-esteems, isn't it? And some of you messed up. You say, oh, I messed up so bad, my kids aren't even talking to me anymore. And you know what? Maybe they have good reason not to talk to you. I know it was always their fault. They're being rude and disrespectful. No. 
maybe they're setting a boundary and you keep blowing over their boundaries and they're trying to get healthy. And it's hard to hear. But if we become transformed by the renewing of our, what's the Bible say? Mind. Then ourselves can come to a place where we are no longer the same person that led to those mistakes in the first place. Let's give an example. If you are a workaholic, somebody say, well, I don't work anymore. If you're a workaholic, you're still working, I know. If you're a workaholic and your kids are resentful because you were never home, you were always working, and then they're like, either they become workaholics or they don't want to deal with it, they don't want to work at all because they're afraid of becoming you, or maybe they just don't want to talk to you because you ain't doing nothing but working. And you say, well, I, I want to repent of that. Well, repent is more than just saying, sorry, I wasn't there for you. I know I'm a workaholic. It's about learning to say, I'm going to take a break. And when I come see you, I'm not going to do any extra work. I want to be there for you. And that's just an example. We have to change our life. And repent. It, it must be modeled. Repentance must be modeled. Let me give you an example from my own personal life. And this is hard for me. My dad growing up, the one who was here last week, we got some fist fights going. He was verbally, I say verbally abusive. If nothing else, he was a, a bad word I'm not supposed to say. And I went to school, college, very bitter and anger and, and heart for him. And then, and he was a Christian before, but God got a hold of him. And he changed. And he became someone that I can actually enjoy. I actually enjoy when he comes down now. I look forward to him coming down. He was here last week, and I enjoyed my time with him, something I never thought was going to be possible because God changed him and made him better than he used to be. And it's possible, even if you were the one that messed up so bad, that your kids are anger and bitter about you, but you must change and model what it means to be of Christ. Because that's how they learn. And maybe if they're not talking to you, maybe they will at some point. Maybe they won't. But that's not, it's not about you. You pray for their health, that they may forgive the bitterness. And if they can never forgive you, get to, they try to forgive you, but they can't ever get to that place where your relationship is restored, you're going to have to be okay with it. Because it's not about you. It's about Christ and their relationship with him. And so we struggle with this. We struggle with these wayward children. We know that we have to do better than what David did in this situation. We can't just sit back and say, you know what? I'm out of it. 
his army ends up having to kill his son. No, no parent wants to be in that situation. Parents are not supposed to outlive their kids. But we have to model it. And as we model it, we pray for them and pray earnestly for them, not about us, but about their health. And some of you, as we think about our next step, some of you are in the place where you have children you are worried about. You have kids that have left the faith. They're no longer believers in Jesus. They may have gone to a different religion or they've joined the nuns. Not N-U-N's, the N-O-N-E's. Nuns. They're a group of, of people we call, they, they've gone to the, the marketplace, the religious marketplace, and they, they step in. They went to the, the religious Walmart and looked around and said, you know, I don't want to have to do with any of this. I'm, gonna, I'm, not, I'm, I'm out. Maybe they've joined that. Maybe they've joined the flat-on, I'm atheist point of view. I don't believe in God. Why? Because I'm so angry with you. And you said you were a Christian. So you have kids you're worried about. And so you need to pray for them. So you have kids you're, you're, you're raising right now. And when they're little, it, yeah, it's about obedience. But as you, you get, they get older, it has to be more and more about controlled freedom so that they learn to be responsible. They'll learn respect. They have to learn how to behave in life. And they have to learn to learn from their mistakes. If you're bailing them out of their mistakes all the time, guess what they're going to learn? That there is no consequences. I don't know how many people I've seen screwed up because their parents got them out of every mistake they ever made. And then things got really serious and the parents were like, I can't get you out of this one. And they're like, what are you talking about? You got me all there out of everything else. And some of you, you say, well, I, I, my kids are good. They're following Christ. Some of you have a great relationship with your kids. And you know what your responsibility is there? Is to support those who are going through. And you know what support means? Supporting them does not mean, come here, let me tell you how you need to raise your kids. No parent wants to hear that. No parent's going to listen to that. Unless they specifically ask you about a situation, that's just rude. Some of you are really good at this. Come here, let me tell you how you should raise your kid. They've got too many toys and they've got, they don't need to be on that. Then it Unless they ask you, but what you do is you walk through life with them, encouraging them, lifting up. That's how you support them. Some of you are the wayward children. You might be in church, but you've gone away. 
Maybe there's someone on our online community right now. Listen, you, God brought you, you're flipping through YouTube, and he brought you here, and you're the child that has gone away from Christ, and he wants you back. I'm not saying you have to restore your relationship with your parents right now. You might get to that point, but I'm saying Christ loves you. He died for you. And he wants to be in your life. He wants to change for the better your life. And we don't do it alone. We can't ignore things and just hope it'll get better. We have to be active in prayer and changing our lives. Our lives are the only ones we can change. We have to be active in making ourselves better so that they may see the change in us and follow the one who is changing us. And lastly, one more quote, one more thing to talk about is please, no matter what age your children are, stop beating them up with the Bible. That's not encouraging them. That's turning them away. The Bible said, Thou shall not. How do you guys feel uplifted? <laughs> yes, some people do it physically. I'm talking more emotionally. The Bible is something to be embraced because it's the Word of God. We don't worship the Bible. We worship the God of the Bible. And so we put our focus on him. We live our life to be better, to be more like him. And we wait like the father for our sons to return. To us, but more importantly, to him. Father God, right now I pray, Lord, I pray for those who are hurting. I pray for those who are hurting because their children have moved away from you. Their hearts cry out because they know that they are down a path that leads to destruction, Lord. I pray that you would bring peace on them, but help them to be stewards of your faith, that they may become more like you, Lord, repentant of where they've messed up, and, but also a guiding light for the children for them to return to. Lord, I pray for those children who have been, been your parents have led you to a place where you are unhealthy. I pray that they may, not about the parent, but about you, Father, that they may turn to you. Lord, I pray for those in this room that are hurting because that their parents' situation growing up was not good. Lord, I pray that they see you, the perfect father, and not import that negative upon them. Lord, I pray that we as a community may be examples of life well-lived, that we may live a life for life that points to you 
admitting when we're wrong, bringing honor back to our names by making things right. Let us teach honor and respect in all aspects of life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.